So my mum and dad were addicts. Drink, drugs, both? Both, yeah. You know, I always had this real passion, like a, a hunger, if you like, like a thirst for, um, you know, for knowing my dad. Oh, I've taken drugs ever since I was about 11. All the way until? Yeah, just weed for the first few okay. years and then took that natural progression to, you know, trips. And I went to think when the cocaine started, and once that door opened, it never really went away. Tax so many people, money and drugs off people, you so know. So drug dealers who tax them, so yeah. they had to pay you. The last one I'd done, I think I was about 33, and I got stabbed three times. It was a love fighting in jail, it was like, but it was that release, it was that channel and channeling all that stuff that was going on in my own head, in my own life. Then a kid gets lost in the showers on my third night in there. And I was there, the screaming. I didn't even want to turn around. I kind of knew what was going on already. I could see blood in the floor and the water. And I just sort of had a glance and this kid just said, are you staying or are you going? I was just like, I'm going, mate. Up until that day, you know, I was somewhat about looking at myself in the mirror for a long time I didn't really like. I was doing my hair and looking in the mirror, but just to do my hair, you know what I mean? Didn't much like, there's a few times I caught my eye in the mirror and whoa, like I didn't like, didn't like it. Didn't like the person I'd become. Didn't like the person looking back at us. I'll take it. I'll fight anyone for 100 grand, anywhere. But, you know, I don't know how this is going to pan out. You know, the same person that seems to be begging online for this fight, the same person that's got a restraining order out on me for wanting to fight him. Masculine men. It's like there's something wrong with it now. Information covered up, censorship, corruption. The mainstream media have proven itself to be untrustworthy. I'm here to give a platform for debate, for truth, for open discussion. I'm introducing you to my podcast, Silenced with Tommy Robinson. Who exactly is Tommy Robinson or Stephen Gaxley-Lenn? The English Defence League, the EDL. The problem is with Islamic radio. The English far-right Islamophobic activist. Since then, there's been organised protests across the country London, Manchester, Leeds, people in their thousands are marching for the streets. There is no such thing in this country as a Muslim free Tommy Robinson. Carlisle bare knuckle boxer Danny Christie's recent title victory has seen him move into the world's top five. 38 year old Christie is one of the leading contenders for the world title. With one punch knockout power, fight experts are quick to praise the powerful Carlisle boxer and his performances so far. However, his journey has been a difficult one. From a difficult upbringing, battling drug abuse, multiple convictions leading to prison sentences and the loss of those close to him. There is no doubt he has climbed to levels of success within his field. However, what impact has his journey given him above others? And what is his plan for the future? Cameras are rolling. Danny. Tommy. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for the invite, Tommy. For my podcast, and um, we're both sat here with our socks and sliders. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Say something to him about that. <laughs> <laughs> Every comment under all my things is, he's got socks and sliders, yeah, I have. It's comfortable. Yeah. It's Cheers. better. Yeah. Danny, you are ranked number four, I believe, now in the world. Bare yeah. knuckle. Yes, man. You're British champion. Yeah. This all seems to have happened pretty fast. From me, from, from me, I, I, I'm watching you. I saw you. I, I first saw you pop up in your online beef with a deck heggy. Uh, yes. 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 That's where I saw you pop up, and then since then, I've seen you just go up and up and up and up. Yeah. 
How's it been? But, but actually, before we start on that, let's go back. I want to know about your childhood. What, what's created the man who's sitting here now? And you're thir- How old are you, Dan? 38. You're 38? 38, mate, getting on. So this has all come at a very late stage as well. It has. Where did you grow up? I uh, grew up in Curragh, Carlisle. Um, I'm back there now. Love that place. You know, that, uh, the people. It's just home. You know, just that familiarity that everyone has with their own home, you know, that's that's what I've got with where I am and I love the place. I love the people. I love the great border city of Carlisle where I'm from, you know, it's uh How big's Carlisle? I just know it's the last stop before we get to Scotland, isn't it? Yeah, it's not so big. And I know about T Bay is it T Bay services? Yeah, that's right. The best services. If you're ever driving up yeah. It's worth driving up just to go to these services, I'm telling <laughs> yeah. you. It's uh-huh. a lot of farm shop food services. That's right, yeah. That's all I know about Carlisle. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's pretty small, about 100,000 people-ish. Okay. Um, it's a city. Everyone must know everyone in that town, because like, Luton's 200,000, still everyone knows everyone. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely that. I mean, you can't, no one can really fart without the next person knowing what you've had for breakfast, you know, yeah. it's that type of place. Um, I just love it. You know, growing up was, was good. You know, there was a... Boys looking back, there was a bit of trauma there, maybe without realising. You know, my dad died when I was three. And um How did your dad die? Uh drugs. A drug overdose? Um no, not so much. I mean, he had this thrombosis which killed him, but it was the drugs that caused it really. What drugs was he on? Um he was on a whole cocktail of drugs, my okay. dad. You know, um was an addict and he took drugs for a long time. When he died when he was young at twenty-seven. 27? Yeah, 27. Me, uh, my mum was, she was 18 when she had me and my mum. And when my dad died, I think my mum was 21. Wow. And um, so my mum and dad were addicts. And your mum was an addict as well? Yeah. Okay. Drink, drugs, both? Both, yeah. Okay. Did you see that as a kid? Did you visual, not, visually see it? No, not, not that I remember. I mean, I'm not saying I was hid from it or anything, but I just don't ever remember it, you yeah. know? I mean, I must have encountered it. Yeah. I must have, but nothing that sticks. Okay. Nothing that sticks. And, um, you know, I always had this real passion, like a, a hunger, if you like, like a thirst for, um, you know, for knowing my dad. You know, not knowing him, you know, was uh, difficult, I suppose. Everyone that spoke about him and, you know, he was loved. Everyone loved him. You know, he had like a, a real psychotic side. But, um, you know, he could fight as well. But he was like a career criminal, in and out of prison, you know, his whole life. English? Half Irish? Half Irish. Uh, they come up from Burnley. Him and my uncle Sean come up from Burnley. They got. A judge from Burnley sort of said they couldn't come back to Burnley, you know, they caused that much trouble and burgled that many houses and whatnot down there, you know, they, they kind of the kicked them out. So they come up and, you know, they, they met, he met my mum and, yeah, but they always had that, like I say, that real, uh, that thirst, I suppose, for knowing him. Still to this day, I still like meeting people, you know, they were his friends, people who've done prison with him, you know, I still like meeting these people and hearing tales of, you know, what he used, some of the things he used to get up to and that, and some of the stories and some of the burglaries and that, and, you know, I suppose I sort of painted him as this 
Robin Hood almost type picture, which he wasn't, you know, <laughs> but you know, that's just a, that's how I painted him, you know. Um, and uh, me, me and my mum's always had a, an on-off relationship, you know, with, with the, there's not a great deal of time between us, you know, I think there's about 18 years between us and she was always more like a sister, a big sister to us, you know, and I'm not saying for a minute that she didn't love me and care because I know she did, but there was, you know, I'm not, not sure she was the most like maternal person. She was never nasty. You know, she gave me a few items, which I rightly deserved. You know, she's the first person to break my nose, you know, which I deserved, you know, 110%. I was, by the time I got to like 10, 11, I was just, I was off the chain. You know, I was off the chain. I loved trouble. I had a... Did you have a father figure? And if your dad died? Yeah, my granddad. You know, I'd have my granddad in my life, you know, who I called dad for a long time. Okay. And um, I was there a lot. You know, I was there a lot, and I. What you staying at your granddad's? Yeah, and I could behave myself the whole time I was there. You know, and I, could, you know, if he said jump, I mean, I was in midair asking if it was high enough. Mm. But as far as my mum was concerned, I was never, never, ever scared of disappointing the woman. You know, it was just never, it was never a thing like my mum's going to catch me doing something. It was just never once came into my mind. My granddad was different, and uh, you know, I remember a few times been took home by the police and all this stuff and. Just had a, a lack of care for consequences, you know, if you like. Mm. Um, but nothing that I remember that was really bad and traumatic. But I suppose looking back, you know, there was a big absence there. A big, like, uh, you know, that absence of father figure, I suppose. Just had a fascination with the fella, and I still have to this day. What have you done, do you mean? Yeah, yeah. real fascination with him, you know. And, Mm. Often wonder what it'd have been like, or what I'd have been like, or what life would let's say would have been like, you know, if he was still around. And it's nice to hear all the people that know him and that, you know, they say, that, you know, how proud he would have been and all this stuff. And he was from Burnley, so I've got, still got family down there. I love going down there. You know, that's uh, my dad's side, and so many of them gone recently in the last couple of years. There's just so many of them in the ground now, and it's passed away. Yeah, it's a shame. What about your granddad? Granddad? My granddad? Yeah. My granddad died a good few years ago. It was uh, when I was... How old was you when your granddad died? When I was 34. I, um, I got into that bit of trouble that you referred to before, which yes. was... Yeah. Which was just... Back making videos, back and forward, you know, that type of stuff. Just to understand this, so people understand, you're both bare knuckle fighters. Yeah. You're both from the same town. Yeah. I wasn't a bare knuckle fighter at the time, I was a boxer. He was a boxer, okay. Yeah. So you're a boxer, he's a bare knuckle fighter. Yeah. He was a big name in the game. Yeah. Online. And you just began clashing. Yeah, yeah. What started it? Well, first of all you know i need to say how much destruction and chaos carnage darkness depression despair all that stuff was going on in my own life you know i was a mess at that point a real mess in the midst of active addiction you know i was uh, troubled to say the least my life was chaos and when you say active addiction how, how long would you say you lived in the concept of active addiction oh i've taken drugs ever since i was about 11. all the way until yeah just weed for the first few okay. years and then took that natural progression to you know trips Mandy, Ease, Ease went on for years, and which at the time was a great time, you know, it was a brilliant time that, looking back. And I went to think when the cocaine started, 
maybe early 20s, 23 or something thereabouts. And once that door opened, it never really went away. You know, and it was just that all the time. And I even though I had a hand on it, one of them that started doing it just two, three times a week. Before long, by the time my late 20s or something, you know, I couldn't put the stuff down. You know, I just couldn't put the stuff down. I was on it all the time. Early 30s, Valium came into the mix, you know, and once I discovered that, you know, that edgy paranoia type prang that you get off yeah. the wire, and the Valium seemed to take that away, you know, uh, so I started mixing the two. It's a lethal mix, mate, and my me, me whole life just turned to shit. You know, I split up with the, the wife I was with for 10 years. And then with the, with the wife, you've got children, haven't you? Yeah. How many? Four girls. Four girls? Four girls. I've got a son from before I was married. Got a son from before you married and four girls. Yeah. And would you say that the reason for the breakup in your relationship was your was your addiction? No. I mean, oh, I played, played a part. Yeah. You know, but we were both, we were both at it. Okay. You know, I remember the last three years of that marriage just being hell on earth, you know, but you, we just stayed together for the kids, I suppose. But um, when that fell apart, I was living with a lass. Um, and I was just, I just had no direction. I had nothing. I'd, for so long, without realising, I had no goals. I spoke about it once the other week, and you know, someone asked me what I wanted to be when I was growing up, and I said nothing. That's what I wanted to be when I was growing up. I didn't want to be nothing. I had no ambition or no goals or nothing. I didn't want to be anything. I didn't want to, didn't want to be anything. I'd, you know, if you asked me what I wanted to be, no one ever asked me what I wanted to be. But if anyone did, I couldn't have told them. I didn't know. And the irony is, you know, by the time I was in my early 30s, that's exactly what I was. Nothing. And I was nothing. Did you have a trade? No. Scaffolder. Scaffolder. I mean, I was scaffolder. Okay. But it was just, you know, it was still nothing. You know, it was just, that's how it felt. Yeah. No coordinates, no direction, no goals, no ambition, no nothing, mate. Just a lying, cheating, robbing bastard. Um, and do it, but got to that point when the, when the money gets scarce, and and I do anything, I do anything. I tax so many people. You what taxed them? Yeah. Took money off them. Tax so many people, money and drugs off people. You so know. drug dealers who tax them, so yeah. they had to pay you. The last one I done, I think I was about thirty-three. I uh, attempted it on Boxing Day, and I got stabbed three times. Uh, my leg, my armpit, and all the way through my arm. So what, you could, you were going around bullying the drug dealers as such? Yeah, just jacking the yeah. box. Just jacking the box in them and trying to scare them and that. And Making them give you stuff. Got away with it a few times until that last time it went wrong. And, and you, what, you got stabbed? I got stabbed three times, yeah. How old were you then? 33. It's not even that long ago then. Nah, and even that, but even that wasn't enough. No. It wasn't enough for me to stop, uh, stop that lifestyle I had. You know, it wasn't enough. Just not. I, I don't know what it was. I needed, and I'm running up to what I'm about to say. How lost I was, and where I was. All that shit that was going on. So the, this other lad from this town was making these mental health videos, and he was parading like disabled kids and that about who I knew. You know, look at me helping this person. You know, and I've just seen all that, seen all the badness in it, I've seen all the wrongness in it, I've seen it for what it was. And I was at a barbecue one day, I hadn't mentioned what I'd seen, I hadn't piped up about it. I was at a barbecue one day and this, one of these disabled 
this disabled lad, well, I was at the barbecue with his mum and dad, and his mum and dad said, we got talking about this video. You know, I said, I seen your son in this video the other day. And she was like, yeah, you know, could you believe he took him off us for two hours saying he was going to help us and help us and help him and stuff. And when he dropped him back off, he tried to bill us for his time. You know, we wanted something like 60 quid for the two hours. What did add this lad? And that was it. I thought, right. That's the start of your beef. I didn't have a phone or anything. I didn't have social media. I didn't have a phone. I didn't have a Facebook. I didn't have nothing. I had grafters, graft phones all the time. So I went home, I rang a mate and said, you got on a smartphone? I said, come round here. So I want to start something here. So he come round, held the camera up and I just went off on one. I was just like, you, I know what you're up to, mate. You know what I mean? And, um, and what did that, did that, your mate put that video online? Yeah. I guess that went viral. Kind of blew up, yeah. Around the town, especially. Yeah. You both. Yeah, it blew up. Faces in the town. Blew up and then that's how it started. It went back and forward. He'd make one, he was going to do this to me. You know, the lad didn't scare me one bit, you know, and so I, I was making them back. In the end, I was trying to arrange this fight between me and him, a gloved fight, which I got organised. Um, I got a date on a show of a Newcastle at the NE6 suite in Walker. Got this show, you know, me and him were going to fight on a show. I just wanted my hands on him, really. During this time, I was finding out things that he'd done, you know, and speaking to people who he'd done things to. And I started mentioning that as well. You know, and obviously that wasn't too good for uh, the image he was trying to sell. And all of a sudden the, the replies stopped coming. You know, the replies stopped coming, so kind of upped the ante me and started going in more and started trying to, I wanted to make him want to fight me, you know, because yeah. of the stuff I was saying and, and putting out there what I knew about him. Then, what does he say about all these allegations? Does he deny all these allegations? Yeah. He denies them. Yeah. yeah. I think he, I think he's sort of wavered in and out of brushing and brushing on him and touching on him and, you know, and then he might know nothing and that. But, you know, since then I've just put, I don't think about that stuff anymore. And I'm not trying to convince you or I'm not trying to convince anybody of yeah. what I know or yeah. what I've been told. You know, I know what I know. But when you say you don't think about it, is that because of the negativity it brings? Because... It cost me my liberty, mate. Explain that. Explain. So, so let's get to that because you ended up in prison, right. right? Well, going back and forth with the videos, he stopped replying. I upped the ante. I was going in. You know, I was going making these videos of a, a proper violent nature. I was like off me nut as well. You know, bouncing around my kitchen, ripping my top off. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Just give me a location. And um, the replies stopped coming. Then the police come to the door. You know, there'd been multiple statements put in and I was arrested for uh, harassment and malicious communications. He'd gone to the police? Yeah. Okay. So, even though I was arrested and I was going down the station, I was like laughing, thinking this is brilliant for my videos. Okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> We've got a grass here. <laughs> you know, and uh, so they let me out. I talked to the camera again immediately. You know, I said, We've got a midnight mass here in the mist, and I've just what? Well, guess what's just happened? I've just been locked up for calling names, and um, that was a breach of my bail, wasn't it? And that was witness intimidation. Then, so my feet never touched the floor. So then you remanded. So I got remanded in Durham, yeah. For a video. For making videos, yeah. For calling names. 
And I was told while this was going on, when I, when I come back, I was locked up for the first about 12 week. On remand. On remand. And um, the... Uh, <coughs> this one, was this your first time in jail? Yeah. This is your first time in jail? First time in jail at oh, that geez, point. So you've had this chaotic life. Got away with so much. Got away with everything. Yeah. And, and then, then you've gone to video from name calling. Yeah. You've gone to jail for name yeah. calling on videos. Yeah. That's what got you behind bars. Yeah, I mean, Mad. it was what it was. And I was told, you know, by me barrister that all I had to do is make a counter allegation. And it would have went away. Because he was making videos of the same nature about yeah. you. Saying things about you. That was it. You know, but because I refused to do so. And, and why did you refuse to do so? Mate, I ain't, I ain't putting a statement in against another man for calling me names, you know. <laughs> okay, and, um, and that's how it is, you know. But there was times in prison when I wished I had, when the sentence came down. You know, uh, there was times when I wished I'd done it. But, I mean, it was what it was, and I've got no regrets now. And what was the set? So you've done 12 weeks on remand? 12 weeks on remand. My granddad was dying. So I got out. I got this compassionate bail with immediate release because of the position I'd had, because of I'd, the position he'd, he'd been and the influence he'd had to me and would, him, me calling him dad for so long, they let me out to go and see him. So they let me out. I got picked up by the ex-wife, embracing the kids when you get out of prison or something else, you know, that... that uh, it's almost worth going, isn't it? Almost, mate, you know, it was, it was unbelievable. It's like I've had that a few times in my life, you know, when you get in, you're in that hole, you swim through that river of shit for so long. When you get to the end of it, it's like, it's nearly worth it. You yeah, know what I mean? It's I almost know, worth I it. I know the feeling, bro. Yeah, I bet you do, <laughs> you know? And um, so I went out first, job number one, obviously, going to see my granddad. That's the reason I was out. Went straight to Carlisle, I went and seen him. Walked into his house and his bed was downstairs and he'd lost a lot of weight, you know, and he'd been given a week to live. I went in and I held his hands and his eyes were stuck together. We'd, like, sleep, if you like. He couldn't open his eyes and... I said, Grandan, he heard my voice, he was like, is that Danny? He put his hand out and um, I held his hand. And, um, you know, he said some of the nicest things that he's ever said to me, you know, and I'll never, ever forget that day. And I promised him, you know, I was going to get better. And I promised him I was going to be the best p person that I could be, you know, because I hadn't been. He thought I was away working. You know, we couldn't even tell him that I was in prison because it had killed him, you know, I mean, it was just that... I was just that, that much of his like blue-eyed boy, if you like. Yeah. So I held his hand and... My mum and that was saying, he has yoghurts in the morning. So I was sat there for about the best part of two hours. And it was difficult seeing him like that, but I said, I'm going to come back in the morning and I'm going to give you your yoghurt. And I went home and he was dead within the hour. And um, ultimately, you know, I have so much gratitude for that moment, for being able to get that, that opportunity, you know, to hold his hand in his dying hour, for him to say some of the things that he said to us, was powerful, man. What did he say for that moment? Yeah. Well, me and my mum had had a big fallout. Yeah. And, um, you know, he told me he forgave me for that. You know, and he so told... He was your mum's dad? Yeah. Okay. You know, and he told me that... He had a serious, serious fallout? Yeah. I mean, he stopped talking to me, okay. you know, which was my own fault. Yeah. But um, he said that me and me and me and my mum, you know, are the closest two people to him ever. And he says, and I need you two to get on before I move on. Was his words, you know, before I move on, mm. I need you two to get on. 
you know, and I said, uh, anything that you want, Danny, you can have. You know, I said, and I've seen it in you since you were a young lad. You know what I mean? He says, you can have anything you want. He says, and you've always chose to have nothing. And he says, why don't you choose to have everything? And you can have it, you know? And um, I was fighting back the tears to speaking to him and I, I had to stay strong, you know? I was, I was actually crying, tears around my eyes, but I was, I was trying not to let him know I was crying because he couldn't see me. And um, yeah, and I said I was going to come back in the morning and give him his yoghurt and he was dead within the hour. Um, so then, the hatred for this situation got worse. Just blew up. It was like petrol, fire. Because you're, you're okay. Your grandma's you know. just died. Yeah. That's your second father figure you've lost. Yeah. And I mean, listen, the problem wasn't caught, the problem wasn't my granda. You know, the problem was fucking me. I was the problem. But I was blind to that at, the, at, that at that time. I thought, right, this is to blame. This person, this situation, you know, this is all... You blamed him for being away, you've been away from your granddad for the last three months yeah, before he's died. you know, and listen, at that point, I hadn't accepted my part in it. You know, that came later, that came when I got sentenced. At that point, it was just, you know, I'm dealing with a grass here, and this is his fault. And that's how I seen it, wrongly. Yeah. That's how I wrongly seen it. But that's how it was at that time. I got, uh, I was back at court, I got sentenced for witness intimidation without violence. It was like the lowest one. Um, harassment and malicious communications. And I got 18 months. And I would make, would, a big sentence. With my remand knocked off, I think I've done about seven. Okay. Something like that. And uh, I went back to Durham and I was waiting on my Cat D because I immediately qualified for Cat D because of the, the category of my offence. Yep, online, nothing. And I think I was three, four days into remand on Durham, uh, sentencing, So, but I was in a remand jail and I was waiting for my allocation. I was talking to a screw about my allocation and as I was talking to him, somebody pushed him in front of me in the gym queue, and I still had that problem. I, I used to love fighting in jail. You know, I love fight, fight anyone in jail. I used to love fighting in jail. It was like, but it was that release. It was that channel and channeling all that stuff that was going on in my own head, in my own life, you know, into like a, a physical fight, you know, and it was, I got a massive release from it. Yeah. You know, and the, 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 more, buzz of it. the more fights I could get in, the better, you know, and I just, I loved that stuff, you know, <laughs> especially in prison when you know you've only got 30 seconds. Yeah, You know, I could do some damage in 30 seconds. And um, this kid pushed in front of me anyway. And I, I'm not even sure I was going to do anything until I asked him, I said, you know, do I not exist or something? What are you doing? And he just looked over his shoulders like, deal with it, mug. And I don't know if 10 or 20 seconds went by. And I was just like, I don't know why. <laughs> we were in the door of the canteen by this time. And I, just, I drove an elbow into his ear. I split his ear. And he went down and I, and I, I fired a couple of kicks in. Then I got took down by this screw, and I forget his name, but people who's been to Durham will know him. He's like, he does the jiu-jitsu and that, the little one with the cauliflower ears. He just tied me up like a pretzel, all, all on his own. And I was screaming in pain, he took, he, he, so I took back to my pad. And this lad had a bit of a firm, northeast lad. They were all shouting at me, and I was going back to the pad, I was shouting at them. 
Then they opened the, open the pad door after I'd been locked up for 20 minutes. They're like, Christy, you're going to die. You know, you're getting off this wing. You caused some chew on here. And so I went over to B wing. Well, because I was waiting for my Cat D, they come and got me two days later after that and took me down to Kirkham. Which is Cat D. Cat C. Cat D, sorry. Sorry, Cat D. What's the difference? So people who, people who can, people who haven't been to jail, so they can visualise, what's Durham like? What's it like as a prison? Durham's a... Uh, I can't glamorise it at all because it's a shithole and it's a not a nice place. But Durham's a, like a rowdy jail. Yeah. But the thing I liked about it, you know, we'd been in four different prisons. The thing I liked about Durham is, you know, it's our crack. They're all Geordie lads, they're all northwest, northeast lads. It's all yeah. Chavagadji mush. Okay, you know, yeah. it's all the same lingo, it's all the same patter, it's all the same banter. Yeah. And for all this trouble, you know, it's 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 quite decent. You know where you're standing there, if that yeah. makes sense. Um So You locked up most of the day? Or yeah, until I got a job. I was on twenty three hour bang up until I got a job on the cleaners and then I was away on I was away on there. That was on that was on remand the first time. I never even got a chance to get a job the second time because I was I was that wasn't there long enough. Okay. So I've gone to Kirkham, which I was allocated to go to. This is after I'd hit this kid, two days after I'd hit this kid. I got to Kirkham. I was talking about it with you the other day, <laughs> saying that, you know, I thought when I got there, I thought I was at a christening. You know, there was like women and kids all over the place, you know, like dressed up. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, well, women and kids, they dress up for visits anyway, don't they? Yeah, women yeah. and kids, you know, and there was women and kids all dressed up, little frilly skirts on and laughing about, ha, ha, ha. And, Prisoners everywhere, and couldn't tell the couldn't tell the prisoners from the thing. Everyone's just dressed casual. That the food in there, mate, is like a banquet. You know, you can you can just get as much food as you like. I mean, I'm talking about wings. You know, I've been in I've been in well, chicken wings. You, yeah, you know, about the left wing chicken leg. No, nah, not nah, not that, <laughs> not them, mate. These are wings. Every every <laughs> leg, every bit of chicken you get in jail is yeah, left wing. That's right. hairy leg. It's mad, isn't it? It's mad, isn't yeah. It? <laughs> Yeah, there was none of that. It was like selection, big selection. So I thought, I'm cushy and this will do me. You know, I'll get right into the gym, get hench. The next day, they come and got us. They locked the induction wing down. And the lad I was in, the lad I was locked up with, I said, oh, they've come for somebody here. And I was like, oh, sound, I was at the door. <laughs> <laughs> then they opened for me. Christy, you know, you've got a nick and come through. And that's what the charge come through for me hitting that kid in Durham. You shouldn't be here. It shouldn't be that cat feed because you've got to wait in another charge. That's it. So then they took me to Preston. <laughs> oh, so I'd done three jails in three days at this point. But you got to see the beauty of a cat D. Yeah, but I'd rather I didn't. You know, yeah, it's of like, course. here's what you could have won. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, you know, and he who giveth can take it away, I suppose. <laughs> and uh, so I ended up in Preston. I had 19 nights in there. And that was the biggest changing point in my life, that, that, in that jail. Hated that jail. If anyone's been to Preston, C1. You know, it's, uh, it's like a dungeon. There's no light in that. It's uh, the f induction wing. And uh, hated it. And I was waiting to go to a Cat C, Lancaster Farms I was waiting for. And I was there 19 nights over Christmas. The portions were terrible. You know, it was like a little tiny little tray with your food coming out, like starvation rations. It was horrible in there. And it was very much like Durham, that Victorian setup. Oh, they're both Victorians. Yeah, yeah, but. Like Bedford. But the difference was like the people, 
you know, it was like, been, for all, it's only Preston down the road, but it's all Manx and Scousers, and, yeah, yeah. you know, so it's like, Northwest. you get all that G in that, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like, there's no Chavagadji mush. Like, it's like... No, Chavagadji mush is down by Portsmouth as well. When I went to Winchester, it's it? all pretty much like that as right. well. Because I think it's, do you know why? I think it's predominantly white. Right. That's a predominantly white culture. When you yeah. get to our jails, our local jails, all the white boys are talking like they're black. Yeah, right. And the cultures took over. I see. Yeah, and that was very much what down there, different, like a different language almost, a different vibe, different feel, and it was a violent jail as well. Yeah. Then a kid gets lost in the showers on my third night in there. Some scouser slashing another scouser. And I just heard the screaming. I didn't even want to turn around. I kind of knew what was going on already. I could see blood in the floor and the water. And I just sort of had a glance and this kid just said, are you staying or are you going? I was just like, I'm going, mate. I'll finish my shower, mate. I'm off, you know what I mean? <laughs> And uh, naughty to see someone get up and up like that. But on the 22nd, I believe it was, of December, the chaplain come and got us. I've spoke about this before. This was like the biggest changing point in my life. My auntie from Burnley had died. And um, I loved that woman. You know, I loved that woman. I was so close to her. I was down there all the time. We spoke on the phone regular. I love that woman, you know, and I miss her so much. And I went- relation to your father, then? Yeah, my dad's sister. Dad's sister, okay, so you kept contact with your dad's sister all the Yeah. Way. Okay. And um, my dad had uh, two brothers, two sisters, and I loved them all, you know what I mean? I was always so close to them all. I love them all. Like my auntie Carol, you know, I was like, Perhaps that one I think I was closest to out of them all. And uh, the chaplain, I knew it was bad when the chaplain, you know you, you know it's kind of bad, you can tell, can't you? Yeah. You know, they're not coming for you to, you know, to give you your phone credit or something. You know, they're coming for you, you know. And I was like, who is it, who is it, who is it? I got down there thinking, to, thinking the whole time, you know, of the worst and, you know, told me that my auntie had died and my auntie Jackie, you know, her sister had rang the jail up and told them, so they told me and left the number. So the uh, big, huge Muslim fella, the chaplain, and he uh, he let me use the phone. He let me use the phone in there to phone me auntie. She'd left the number and let me phone, so I spoke to her. And I was all right until I, until I was all right. I was, I didn't start crying until I spoke to her. Once I spoke to her, you know, she told me and, uh, I mean, I just broke down. I had a proper, proper breakdown. I couldn't stop crying. You know, that like rough sort of carpet tiles that you get in prison. Mm. By the time I got off the phone, I put the phone down, I sat there like this for a while, just sobbing, sobbing and sobbing uncontrollably, so I couldn't stop crying. And there was a pool of tears on the floor like that. By the time I'd finished, I was down there for hours. And then the, the fellow was so sound, but he was like, you ready to go back? I was like, do you need half an hour? Yeah, you need half an hour, so. I went and uh, I lit a few candles in there and I was looking at the big stained glass and that. And I was like, right, I'm ready to go back. So I went back to my pad and uh, them little plastic tile mirrors, what you get. Up until that day, you know, I was somewhat about looking at myself in the mirror for a long time, I didn't really like. I was doing my hair and looking in the mirror, but just to do my hair, you know what I mean? Didn't much like, there's a few times I caught my eye in the mirror and whoa, like I didn't like, didn't like it. Didn't like the person I'd become, didn't like the person looking back at us. That day I went back to the pad and I sat and stared into my soul, mate, for about five hours. 
I just looked deep into myself. And that day, mate, that day was when it all changed for me. The realisation, the, uh, the acceptance, the accountability and responsibility for my own actions, all that stuff changed. All the hurt I'd caused, all the people I'd wronged, it was all there, it was right at the forefront. You know, I could see it all. And I just blamed myself from then on in. It was my fault I was in prison. Yeah, we had this think person that had made himself into a victim, but ultimately the blame was me. You know, I could have I could have done a million and one different things, but I chose not to. I chose to do what I'd done. Did did that come about from self-evaluation? Or the reason I asked that is because I know you're in recovery as well. Yeah. We'll get on to recovery because that leads you into a very positive stage of, yeah. of your life, I believe. But when in recovery or when you're assessing addiction issues, I know that they make you reevaluate everything and yeah. look at everything differently. For example, mm-hmm. I, I grew up my whole life hating the police from yeah. when I was 19 yeah. because my first ever offence I was sent to jail for. Mm-hmm. And I've always hated the police since that. I think mm-hmm. you bastards, you ruined my life. Yeah. But then in that, they try and, because you're carrying that. So I'm carrying that hatred. Mm-hmm. I'm carrying mm-hmm. that myself. Yeah. That's affecting me, not them. Yeah. So to try and lift that, try and clean your, clean your spirituality, then you assess everything to think, what did I do wrong? And in every single scenario, you have to look at what I done wrong. Yeah. So did that, did this change in life come from that or was it just a natural, you started evaluating yourself? I think it was timing. You know, okay. I think it was timing. I needed it without knowing. I yeah. probably needed it for a while without knowing. You know, I was probably searching for it for a while without recognising that that's what I needed. That day come, I told you I had this breakdown and I, I just, there was the staring at myself told you I had discomfort doing it before and I just locked eyes with myself and I was just staring at myself like that. Mate, for four or five hours plus, I just looked deep into my soul. I was reflecting on my life and, and all the stuff I'd done. All the stuff I'd done. And um, I remember going to sleep that night, just laying on my bed and thinking, right, I have to change. I need to change. You know, for the first time ever, I needed to change. But uh, it wasn't that. It wasn't easy, you know. It, it took a while, and I couldn't just forgive everybody straight away, you know. I, I don't think I don't think it works like that for anybody. So I tried to process a lot of things, and first of all, I thought I need to stop using. I was using every day in jail, you know what I mean? And still I was using spice, and yeah, okay. you didn't take anything in jail. You know? How bad? So the people understand how bad the, the, the drug situation in oh, prison. It's been insane, especially the, spice. Mate, it's off the Richter. It's like detox, the whole place comes out like zombies. Yeah, mate, it's, it's off sick. the Richter. You know, and uh, obviously I, I, can't, I couldn't get my drugs of choice in there, yeah. you know. So um, what was you taking? Spice, substance? Spice and silbies, yeah. And, uh, Every day? Yeah, daily, yeah. Okay. Daily, yeah. Um, I think there's that thought of, initially, the thought of going behind my door with, for 16 hours, you know, with nothing. I just couldn't get my head around that, you know what I mean? I just, someone I couldn't, uh, I couldn't bring myself to do. So, that was job number one in my head, you know, I was like, stop using. First time I'd ever tried to stop using, by the way. You know, I never tried to stop before. I didn't have a reason to, you know, and... It took me two years to get clean. And every day, every time I was using in prison, you know, I thought, when I woke up in the morning, I thought, that morning, 
I'll try today. I thought, well, I'll just get a little bit then, you know, get a little five a bit or something, and uh, try and make that, that's my last bit then. Do you know what I mean? See you later, bye-bye drugs, you know. But by the time you come round to getting locked up again, you know, you want that bit more. So two, three, sometimes four, five times a day, I'm still using. Every time's going to be my last time. That went on for another six months. You know, I got moved to Lancaster Farms, where well, it was easy then, you know what I mean? Because you start getting a bit more drugs in my choice, getting a couple of volume and a bit of solid and that. Mm. You know what I mean? So start getting a bit... So... I come to getting out. I've still been using the whole time, so I was like, right, I'll just have... I'll tell you what I'll do, because I can get my head, you know what I mean? Because I can get Charlie and that when I get out, I'll just go on one big one. You know, and that'll be... Uh, That'll be the last of it then, you know what I mean? Because me telling myself, I don't really want to finish, finish this journey on subbies and spice. You know, I can do it. You're self-justifying. Yeah. Every time. I can do it glamorously yeah, yeah, yeah. in some hotels with a quarter, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, I got out. Couldn't stop. Right back into my substances of choice, you know what I mean? Couldn't stop. Taking drugs every day, smoking weed all day, every day, having whiff on a night, every night, most nights, and then volume to get to sleep. And for some strange reason, I called that trio the Holy Trinity. I don't know where it came from, I don't know why I've done it, I can't even tell you why, but that's what I called it, the Holy Trinity. Weed all day, whiff all night, volume to get to sleep. And that just repeated itself. Yeah. It just repeated itself and uh, went on for a... Like I say, best part of two years since I'd got out, still couldn't stop. Until one day, my me, uh, me ex-brother-in-law, who I love, you know, I'm good pals with him, real close to him, like a brother to us. I hadn't seen him for a few months. Comes into McKenna, I've been on this big bender. A lad come up from down country who I met in jail, bought this big party bag. We've done it all in, in like three days, you know, and I'm left just like a crustacean of a man of shadow again, you know, in a proper state, you know what I mean? Real bad, real bad. And that day I was feeling sorry for this, all the brother-in-law come in, and he was just like me. But he looked different, he sounded different, he had this different energy, his skin looked clear, he's hopping about me, I was buzzing and that. He says, uh, I know what you need. You need what I've got. You need to come down to Narcotics Anonymous. This is for you, Danny. You know what I mean? You love it. You need it and that. And I'm like, mate, fuck off. You know what I mean? Look <laughs> at the state of us, mate. You know what I mean? I haven't slept in three days. He said, go to bed tonight. There's a meeting tomorrow. So I went to bed. He said, I'll come for you. So come for you at seven. About five past seven, I thought, I just forgot. I'm fuck for that. I just forgot. No, I come, picked us up. Took us down to the rooms. And uh, I walked in there, and there was so many people what I knew from town that I hadn't seen for years. So many people that had got clean through this program, 
this program that I had no knowledge of. Old faces from years gone by, you know, looking really well. Looking like supreme, mate. Looking there. Uh, looking belter they were, all these faces. But uh, there's obviously people at the start of recovery and that in his way and their own journey, you know. But then I remember some of the people that I once knew to be in bad states were looking really well. And Aaron was like, look, look, these, these can do it. Look at him. Remember him? You remember him, don't you? I was like, yeah. He's like, look at him now. He's like, that's in here. And I was drawn to it. I really liked it. I got a lot on my first meeting. Did you speak at your first meeting? No. No. No, I didn't speak at my first meeting. I just listened. And uh, So people understand this is like narco narcotics anonymous where there's a large group of people come around. Yeah. Someone who's been through the process stands and gives you their, their explanation of where they're at in their life. Tells That's you it. their real lows, their real deep lows. Yeah. Remind you of how bad life is. Yeah, and they just... They make it clear on known certain terms that this program works. You know, that the program works. You know, the 12 Steps of Narcotics Anonymous. And there's other fellowships as well which do the 12 Steps, but, you know, I really found that NA was for me. And first time ever, mate. I went 59 days clean. From then? From that day? From that day, I went 59 days clean. Did you go clean. to da meetings daily? Yeah. You went daily? I'd done online meetings. I went to meetings daily. Okay. You know, and they recommend you do 90 meetings in 90 Nine days. days. Well, I never quite got that, but I've done pretty okay. So I'm 50, 56, 58, whatever days in, you know, trying my best to live this program. Unless it comes back in, you know. Took my eye off the ball a little bit, got a bit complacent with what I was doing and deserved a treat, didn't I? You know, that's my head, that's, the, that's how I was thinking. Justification again. 59 days, Danny, you know. You so, go, so go and have one, because you know now you can do 59 days. So, mm. and all that bollocks. So I had a big one. And uh, they say something, you know, in the rooms that using will never be the same. And it won't. Even though using for me was shit for so long, especially in the last two years of me using. See, the lines are blurred for me. I can't remember when it stopped making me feel good. I used to love taking drugs, me. That feeling that I used to get, whatever it was, that synopsis or euphoria that I used to get. I can't remember when that went. I just cannot remember. All I can remember is for a long time it was shit. And uh, when you, once you've had a taste of recovery and you relapse, then you'll know how shit drugs can make you feel because you know, you've got you're to... You're bottom and then because you've already relapsed, you're thinking I'm yeah. totally relapsed. That's it, well you, get that, you get that fuck it switch. Because you know, really, you've got to go back to the rooms. You know recovery works, you know this, you are going to go back. So you've got to fess up, you've got to man up, you've got to get back to the programme. But I'm not finished yet, do you know what I mean, is what you tell yourself. Let's just keep fucking going until this self-destructive fucking happens. And that's it, that fuck it switch come in, you know. Instead of like, when we're addicts, you know, you get so much drugs. Oh, well, that can last me till tomorrow morning and that. I would just take loads, loads and loads and loads when I was relapsing. And uh, usually I'll never be the same. So I went back and I'd done 30 days again. And I relapsed shortly after 30 days. 
and I was losing my wayward recovery a bit after my second relapse. I'd done another 30 days, which is always the hardest for me anyway. 30 days because I don't know what it is for anybody else, but I know what it is for me, you know, and my biology, my neurochemistry, what you know, whatever you like, my physicality, my mentality. When I when I have something in my system, mate, no matter what it is, if it's in my blood, my fucking disease, my addiction is just screaming, feed me. You know what I mean? Cravings are unbelievable. For 30 days. That 30 days is hard, man. And I've done that fucking four times now. 30 days. You know, and I don't want to ever do it again. Last session I went on, my mate's funeral. Fucking great lad. Jason. Died on a motorbike. He was a boyo, you know what I mean? Loved him. I think I'd had about 40 days clean or something. Went down to, went down to the funeral. All the old faces were there. I just went to the service. And I remember this feeling I got at that funeral because it was like no other funeral I've ever been to. It was like a football match in that church. I remember his sister was trying to speak and God love her, she broke down. She couldn't quite finish the, this eulogy she was reading. And I remember a lad just stood up, he was like, fucking go on Stacey, mate, the church just exploded. It was an emotional day, you know, but I've never seen a funeral like that before. That you could feel the love in the church, what we had for him, you know what I mean? The place went bananas. Mental, you know what I mean? It went mental, the church. And it calmed down a bit and she finished what she was reading. Mint, it was mint, mate. You know, what a send-off. And uh, I went down with all the lads, a mistake on my part, you know, I went down with all the lads to the club afterwards and I said, I'll just come for a coke and I you know, see a few faces. It didn't take long, someone put a pint in front of you. I was aware. You know, and I know that now, if that stuff touches my lips, I'm gone. I don't use like other people, you know, and obviously other people use like me, but there's so many people out there that can manage the using. And there's a certain, I get a certain envy with them people. You know, I look at some people having a little couple of cans. Same the other day. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> having a quiet beer. Yeah, and I'm like, you bastards. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to be one of them types. But as soon as it touches my lips, you know, I may as well just give everything I've got. And I mean everything, any levels of spirit, spirituality, any anything I've got, any f material, shiny things, everything. Morality. I may as well just give it to someone else. Say, hey, well, you can have that, mate. Because I'm fucking losing it all anyway, yeah. you know. So I went on a four-day bender after that funeral. How long ago was this? This was the 10th of March, the 10th of April last year. Okay. Um... Yeah, pretty sure. 14 months ago anyway, just over. And that was the last time and I decided after that, left in a hole again, left in a hole, you know, and then what, 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 what drinking and drugs and staying awake for three or four days does to us. Left back in that place again. Was you, was you fighting at this point? At this point of your addiction, your chaotic life, no. you're in agile, you're out of jail. No. There's no fighting? There's okay. no fighting. I'd done unlicensed boxing years before that. Okay. You know, and I'd done amateur boxing years before that. Okay. But, um, you know, and after that one, I just decided, you know, to give everything to the programme. And I decided to do it like I'd never done it before. 
do all the suggested things, stay connected, do step work, get a sponsor, you know, go to any lengths really to stay clean. Yeah. You know, at one point I would go to any lengths to get drugs. You know, I wanted to flip that on its head and go to any lengths. I mean, I got a sponsor. Sponsor told me, you know, to, and I wanted, by this time I wanted it more than ever. You know, I've, I've wanted it before, wanted things before, but uh, not like, I didn't want it like this. You know what I mean? This time I really wanted it. My life depended on it. You know, I, was gonna, I felt like I was gonna die, I was gonna end up killing myself. Or, not suicide, but drug induced killing myself. Yeah, you know, yeah. By the way I'd gone on, the way I carried on, the amounts I was taking. So, I done what was suggested. I changed everything. They say change one thing and that's everything. So that's what I done. I systematically went about changing everything. I changed all my friends. All this group of boys where I grew up with, this amazing group of lads, brothers, who I love, but I had to let them go. You know, I had to, I had to move, I moved house. I changed job. Started palling on with people in recovery. And uh, you know, I'm very pleased to say I'm 14 months clean. You know, it feels good. And that, and that must seem like, uh... Or how, how has your life changed? Because you know people say your life will change for the better, the better than you can even believe. Mate, you know, you hear it all the time, you know, but they say recovery will give you the life beyond your wildest dreams. That's, that's the words, yeah. Well, at the start, I didn't know what that meant. I'm thinking yachts, supermodels. You know, I'm like, are they all gonna pull a grand out or something? Give me, yeah. or give me a grand each or whatever, you know. And even when the first meetings, I was that confused by it. These people that I'd seen in the meetings that I knew for years, that I hadn't seen for years, I'm like, I wonder what sort of wages they're giving him to say all this. You know what I mean? That's where I was with it. Thinking it was a scam. Yeah. But um, once, I, once I put both feet in, and once I give it everything, um, bit by bit, slowly, little by little over time, you know, things started to align, things started coming to my life. You know, when you're not spending 500,000 pound a week on getting high, you start realizing some of this, you've got, you know, you, you can actually accumulate a few quid and that makes things easier. Relationships with my kids just, oh, just better than ever. You know, and I was always present with my kids, but often, in body and not in mind. You know, there was times when I just felt like they were getting in the way of my using. You know, unfortunately, that's just how it was. But, uh, you know, things got better than ever and continue to get better. You know, and I've had some ups and downs in recovery and it's not easy. It's not easy at all. It's not easy, like, but... Cause you're left with this, mate. You know what I mean? This thing that's run the show for so long, this thing that thinks it knows better it thinks it's above the program, you know, it thinks it's still wants to break people's noses and stuff and still always got that bit of violence in us, you know, that flashing, not so much a passion for hurting people, but sometimes a desire to hurt some people, mm. you know, and I'm, even though I've let go so much, uh, forgave a lot of people who've wronged me, you know, I've still got resentments, still got plenty of resentments there, you know, and I'm working on them. Because yeah, they say, because as I said, the resentments are affecting you, not them. Yeah, 100%, you know. You're hating on him. Yeah. You're carrying that hate. That's it. It's burning your day. Exactly, mate, and it's all energy that you're spending and it's mm. tying your back, it's I've holding the back. I've got a few of them, <laughs> I've got yeah. a few going on. Mm -hmm. A long list. But yeah, the, uh, before recovery, I'd gone out of prison, 
the back end of my use and you know I know we're going back and forward a little bit here but it's just how my head works yeah. I'd been out of prison 20 months and I got called out by this fella who had a restraining order on us who'd put statements in and I dare say I got me sent to jail you know I had a massive part in that you know but he so was, he's got a restraining victim. Order. He's got a restraining order out against you, and he calls you out for a fight. Yeah, twenty months after I've got out of prison. So okay. this is the one I've seen. Yeah, uh, is it? Do you have it in Manchester? Yes. With um, what's his name, Travel Boy? Dougie Joyce. Dougie Joyce. Yeah. Well-respected lad. Yeah, listen, I get on with Dougie, but uh, that's how that come about. I had mentioned this lad and wouldn't mention this lad because of the restraining order. I was just trying to be, you know, I was lost, I was still lost, trying my best to, to get clean, which I couldn't do at that point. So I got called out, you know, and I still wanted to really put my hands on this lad, you know what I mean? In fact, there's nobody ever that I've ever come across that I've ever wanted to put my hands on so much as that person, you know what I mean? And uh, the day came. They called the corners out on all these videos. I started making videos back. I couldn't help myself. I was like, I'll see you. You know, I'll see you. Uh... I had a feeling they didn't think I was going to accept it for whatever reason. Maybe because he had the backing of these lads. Maybe because he blew up to about 18 stone. Maybe a few things I had a feeling he wasn't going to accept. He thought I wasn't going to accept, but I accepted anyway. And uh, he said, you know, you'd... he kept. My fair play man, Paul Venice, you know, he was a massive part of my story and I'll, I'll get on to that. I rung him up and asked him if he'd be my fair play man, you know, because I knew he was well respected and I knew he knew Dougie and I said, will you take me down to fight this lad, you know, in six days? I think they come on the Saturday, the call out, and I think we're fighting on the Friday. And do you think he'd been training? The do other think, lad? Yeah, do you think he'd been getting ready? He, I'm he, not he sure how physically fit he was, you know. Okay. And it, I mean, he certainly could have been fitter, but it was just that much of a lump. Okay. You know, I'd definitely been doing the weights and that for sure, yeah. you know. But um, I accepted. So this this lad who, you know, wanted to fight us is in touch with Paul now. And he was ringing Paul all week saying, tell Danny if he just makes a public apology, you know, he doesn't have to fight me next week. And I was like, you know, mate. I said, Paul, ring him back up and tell him to go and fuck his mother. You know, that's just how I was with it. You know, yeah. and I apologise if I've offended anybody, but that's what I said. And he'd bring, a, bring up again the next day. You know, he's still going on about this apology, you know. And in there, in my head, I thought- He don't want it. That's what I thought. Yeah. I thought, I've got the edge here. You know, I thought, if somebody really wants to put hands on me the way I want to put hands on them, they won't be making this phone call. So I said, Paul, you said that yesterday. Giving a way out. You know, I said, tell him to fuck off. Paul come pick me up for there and Paul, uh, Paul was in recovery. Paul was massive in NA at that point, uh, loved it. You know, and he, uh, Paul the Christian, you know. I'm not a Christian, me, you know, but I've always been drawn to the cross. I don't know what it is. I'm not a Christian, I don't practice Christian. I do read the Bible on occasion. Something about that cross I've always liked. And maybe the day will come, you know, I get signs all the time and I don't know if I misinterpret them or what. But I get signs all the time, me, you know, uh, all the time, mate. You know, I get sign upon sign, and I don't know if I'm misinterpreting them or I don't know what, but I'm, I feel like I'm waiting, me. 
I feel like I'm waiting, I feel like I haven't decided what I want to do, what I just... I'm not ashamed to say I, d I just don't believe, you yeah. know? I don't believe. The day might come where I might believe that Jesus died you, for me. But you believe in a higher power? I know there's a higher power, mate. So... Without uncertainty, I know there is. You it's, know understand, what I mean? it's understanding what a higher power is. Yeah, it's... My God hasn't got a face, no. you know? I just know there's a power at work all the time that's greater than myself. Paul's explaining all this stuff to me. And they take the word God out of it for some people to struggle with that. Yeah, some people hear the word God and they get scared, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I understand that. But um, that cross for me has always been something. There's always something there. That's why I bear it on my channel because, you know, for me it's a symbol of good, obviously. Ultimate good. Yeah. But also a symbol of immense suffering, you know. And which I think that with that duality, you know, I think anybody and everybody can have some relation to that. Yeah. Paul, me and Paul talked at length on the way down. And um, I forgot I was going to a fight. You know, I just met this big lad who I'd admired for years and yeah. talking all the way down. And we got about 10 minutes off on the sat and he's like, right, you're fighting in 10 minutes. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. So uh, I wrapped my hands up and... Um, we purposely took our time getting down there because I know myself. What it's like when you're standing waiting. He's in the gym waiting, he's making videos, I'm here. I'm like, you're there? Fucking four hours away. You know yeah. what I mean? You've been there a while, mate. Yeah. And I knew that what that does to people's adrenaline levels and that. And yeah. So look, I went down, the fight was what it was. Everyone's seen it. You know, and I was, uh, but I, I do remember just before we got out of the car, I got a phone call off the ex-wife. How long was the fight? How long did it go on for? Yeah. I think we were swapping shots for about nine minutes. Yeah. Ish. And what was it declared a draw? It declared a draw, yeah. Which I think was fair. Yeah. You know, I think was fair. Okay. But um, I remember getting out of the car, my hands were wrapped and I left the phone in the car. Just as I was getting out of the car, it rang. And it was the ex-wife. She said, you know, this is going live on Dougie's Instagram in a minute. I knew it was getting videoed, but I thought it had been getting uploaded, you know, a bit later on or something. She said, it's going live on Dougie's Instagram in a minute. And that was it. I was like, right. And she's like, me and all the girls have put it on the big screen. <laughs> so I was like, sound, you know what I mean? When she says all the girls, she mean your daughters? My kids, yeah. You dumb, mate. Jesus. So I was like, right. And I just thought, yeah, that's it. You know, no one's going to make a mug out of me today. I thought I'm gonna. I know they're watching. You know, I'm gonna. I'm gonna do all right. I'm gonna give a good, good account of myself here. You know, I'd like to think that's what I've done. You know, I'd like to think I give a good account of myself, considering. What did you I'm, weigh at that time? Uh, about 13 stone. And he weighed what? 18. It's a big difference when it comes to fighting. Yeah, I suppose it is. But you know, I suppose in a straightener, you know, you don't really think how much some, someone else wears. I was aware he was bigger, but um, I know I can crack. You know, I've always been able to crack. You know, and I think once we got into gear. I think we would hit about the same, you know, he could definitely crack. Mm. I'm not sure how powerful he is for an 18 stone heavyweight, but I know I can crack and he can hit about as hard as me. So he's got power, you yeah. know, no two ways about it. And then um, the fight was over, declared a draw. We come home, you know, and I suppose that was that. Did you feel like you got a re you released then of all that anger, all that emotion and frustration from yeah. the year of... Yeah, Losing definitely. your granddad, blaming him. Yeah, I felt like prison. a winner. You know, I felt like a winner and a little bit of smugness, I suppose, knowing that I was going home to party and he Celebrate. was going, and he was you, going to hospital. 
Okay. You know, and getting his face stitched back together. And I was, uh, I was fine, me, a couple of cuts and bruises, you know, didn't need any stitches at all. And I, I mean, I felt like a winner, and I know it was a draw, but I felt like a winner. I felt like I'd set out to do what I, what I, what I knew I could do. And that was it. A couple of months after that, I got into recovery. Whilst Did I'm you in, get done I, for that fight? Yeah, I got back at court for breach of a restraining order. So he has a restraining order against you, he challenges yeah. you to a fight, you turn up to fight him, he's a willing participant <clears> in the fight, and you get done for a breach of a restraining order. Yeah. <coughs> Did he want to get you done for the breach of a restraining order, or not? Well, Does it he, said on, said, he said on the road up to the fight, he said, look, I'll turn up a court and say that I wanted it I and wanted stuff. I wanted it, okay. Well, you know, you know. But did he? Shock, you know, he was never there. Okay, so you got took to court and penalised. Yeah. And I got a year in prison suspended for two years, which is still sort of... Um, you still got that suspension over your head now? Yeah. But listen, that was what it was. A couple of, a couple of months after that, I got into recovery. In and out of relapses, like I'd said, I was after... My last relapse, what I'd mentioned, my, my pal's funeral, gets a phone call, the representative from the BKFC, you know, they said, fancy a multi-fight deal. And I thought someone was taking the piss, you know what I mean? I'm like, who is this? You know what I mean? Thinking it's some one of my old pals or something. <laughs> they were like, no, you know, I'm being serious. You know, we must send you some details. And this is from them watching you fight? Yeah. Decker. Yeah. Okay. So I was like, yeah, once I knew they were serious. And I thought, yeah, I think I'll have some of that. And I was 37 at the time. And the window's closing, mate. The window's been closing for a while, physically. You know, it's not closed, but it's definitely closing. Just in a lot of pain, mate, physically, a lot of injuries and stuff catches up with us and father time body just not what it used to be but I thought you know something I'm going to do this because if I don't I maybe regret it you know I maybe get to 40 and think shoulda coulda woulda so I went for it got in the gym I got in shape got my old coach back who I love to bits Wayne Mason love that man like a brother to us you know and I said to him you know if you can't coach me for this journey Wayne I'm not going to be able to do it you know, I don't want anyone else in my corner apart from you, so let me know if you can't make the time. I'm gonna knock it on the head. He said, no, let's go for it. You can do it. So we went for it and we've done all right, you know. We've had three wins, three knockouts. After my second win, I asked for the best available opponent in this country. I said I wanted the best lad. And because I'm, because of my age, mate, you know what I mean? I thought if I was 25, I'd maybe have warmed up a little bit and knocked yeah. this one over and that one over and try and build some record or something. But I just wanted to prove to myself that I could mix it with the best lads in the UK. So there was a kid there who had this BKFC title. He what, and his name? Uh, Anthony Holmes. And he looked the part, bruv. Because yeah. when I saw you, I was watching it, I was thinking, yeah. oh, mate, he looked a beast. Yeah, he's a muscular, he muscular a lad. And he's good, very good at what he does, good fundamentals and that. And, and the fights that I've seen him in, some of the kids he's beat, he's beat some lads who I watched for years. When I was using these lads like Lurwell and, and Barrett and that, I used to watch these lads and think, wow, oh, they're really good lads. And he'd chin them all, you yeah. know what I mean? And uh, 
I thought Ralph's officer that said, well, you, fight, you can fight this Anthony Holmes then. So it was like writing at the deep end after two fights. So I was like, brilliant. You know, that's, I wanted that. I wanted it bad. And you then you come in, you must have felt, must have felt the strongest and fittest because you're, you're clean for the first yeah, time in your life. That's it. For 14 months. And I'd have 12 I'd, months I'd, I'd had two, two training camps back to back. You know, it's not like I've been having blowouts and letting no, any of this fitness go. You know, you're peak fitness. Man. I was walking around on two camps. You know, yeah. so I was already in shape going into that camp. And they had about seven, seven and a half, eight week in the gym for that. Oh, when I was already fit. And we got the job done. Scored a knockout. Scored a belt and knockout. Some knockout as well. Yeah, loved it. Some knockout. What a feeling, mate. What a feeling, you know, uh, to lay somebody flat like that in their own backyard. A champion, undefeated kid. You know, beat, beat all the people that I'd looked up to for years. Mm. And I'm in there laying him out. And uh, what a buzz, mate. Nothing really comes close to that sort of feeling that you get from winning a fight like that in that fashion. I've said it before, you know, nothing on earth, no substance on earth can make you feel like that, can replicate or mimic that feeling. Nothing comes close. That, they say, don't they, you know, the, uh, the best things in life are free. Yeah. Well, that is the best, the best feeling by far I've ever had. You know, better than anything, better than sex, better than watching your kids get born. You know, it's that release of uh, everything, all the dopamine, all them feel-good hormones, adrenaline, and all the glands just like shoot the bolt. You know, they just yeah. get massive amounts of it into the bloodstream, mate. And there's no feeling like it. And I see where. That buzz, what I, I love, you know, I'm not sure what I will. I'm going to have to find someone to replace that mate when I finish fighting because... Which is what a lot of fighters struggle with. That's a problem that a lot of professional boxers face and it usually drives them to addiction. Yeah. And issues after they come out of boxing because they're trying to find something to replicate yeah. that feeling. Se searching for something to replace it. Yeah. So you're... You're currently ranked fourth in the world. Yeah. You're awaiting a new fight deal. Are you? I've got a multi-fight deal at home. You've been off the multi-fight deal? You know, and I've been... The last fight I was in that with me and Anthony was a world title eliminator. So I've been promised a world title shot. I believe there's some difficulties getting Lorenzo Hunt into this country. I can't get out of this country. You know, I've got 33 convictions and I just... I'll be wasting my time going to the embassy, you know. Um, so, it seems to be a bit of a unique problem, you know, uh, the fight that I wanted. And I know Lorenzo Hunt wants that fight as well. I suppose I speak to him, you know. And I think that would be a great fight. I think it would be the biggest fight that Britain's yeah. ever seen. For bare knuckle. bare knuckle, I anyway. And uh, we're just going to have to wait and see. There's a lad out there, David Round, a Welsh lad, tough lad. And I give him my word that I would fight him before I jacked in. Okay. So, if we can't make the Lorenzo Hunt fight, which would be a shame, you know, since they've not promised me, but contractually, you know, I was uh, obliged to, to have that fight and, and maybe to fight David Round. There was talk of me giving Anthony Holmes a rematch, you know, but he's talking, he thinks he's on about moving down a weight now. 
you know, I just if I'm only having one more fight or two more fights, you know, they've, they've got to be good fights, fights that I want. Any talk of Decker? Yeah, you know. I think that may be the biggest. Listen, it's funny, you know, because when I, I watch things and I'm sent things and I hear things that this rematch has been talked about for 100,000 quid. Well, someone got in touch with us. There wasn't mention of 100,000. They said that they might be able to get it. You know, we think we could get this money, you know, off these Saudis. This is like a middleman I'm speaking to. So all I said was, look, I'm not being funny, but why don't you just come back to me then when you've got that money? You know, I don't want to talk about anything else. You know what I mean? If that fight's going to happen, my number is 100 bones. You know, I said, so if you can get it, get back in touch with me. If you can't, you know, I won't speak to you. That... So if that comes, I'll take it. I'll fight anyone for 100 grand, anywhere. <laughs> but, you know, I don't know how this is going to pan out. You know, the same person that seems to be begging online for this fight, the same person that's got a restraining order <coughs> out on me for wanting to fight him. You know, it's very confusing and contradicting, but time will tell. I mean, what happens if I have this fight again and I end up back in prison for a breach of a restraining order? I don't know how these things work. I don't know if it's going to be active if we fight abroad. How long was a restraining order for? It was for five years. Okay. And I've got no interest in going near him, bothering him, you know, seeing him in the streets, anything like that, mm. you know. I treat him like I treat anybody else, you know, if they come in the street and make me feel threatened and I feel like they're going to do something, you know, I light them up. But until then, you know, I'd rather just be left alone. But it keeps going on about this reason. <coughs> and it's like, it's talking like we're in some kind of negotiations, you know, like it's... I guess your profile now has bombed. Yeah. Your profile has bombed. Yes, man. So, he'll be talking his way into it. We'll just have to see. Look, if somebody comes to me, you know, he said, the, he said I sent something the other day and said like, Sign the contract, sign the contract. You know? said that. Yeah, what contract? You know, I mean, how much money do you think I've got? Do you know, mm. do you think I'm going to be looking at a contract for 100,000 quid? And not signing it. And not signing <laughs> it, mate? Come on. If that contract lands, I'll do it. You know, and if it means going to prison for a whatever year or whatever, I'll go to prison for 100,000 quid. But we'll just have to wait and see. No, nothing certain, nothing set in stone. I've had a brief conversation with one middleman about it. That's as far as it's went. You know, it's not, we're not in negotiations of any kind. You know, it's been mentioned once. That's it. Let me ask you this. Because about two weeks ago, I was driving through Spain and I stopped off in Benidorm, where I was beaten up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't laugh, mate, but yeah. No, you should laugh. <laughs> 9.37, check out the video, yeah? 9.37 in the morning, <laughs> I wake up, right? And I'm, at the side, and, and I'm at the side of these stairs, and I'm in Benidorm, and all I heard was Tommy, and I've just been battered from everywhere, right? And as I'm getting punched from everywhere, I'm ducking down, and then I'm running, and I'm getting chased. And as I run, I run up, fire ex I run up a, a fire exit chute of some flats. I'm trying to get in the flats, and I run all the way to the top, at which point I must just collapse. Because the next thing I wake up, and this is probably about 2 a.m., next thing I wake up is 9.37 a.m. Well, I just woke up then. I probably don't look like it. Oh, my face is 
fucked. I've got bad last night. I've just fucking... I must have been unconscious here, bruv. Look. Oh. I fucking legged up here. Can you see that? Oh, fuck, man. Fucking hell. I've just woke up. I must have been unconscious on the floor here for hours. Oh, you fucking mugs, man. When I look at the video now, it's ridiculous because my face ain't patched, yeah? yeah? But I felt, and I still feel, yeah, now. Yeah, you will. Look, I'm feeling it everywhere. Yeah. I've got my ear, I can't touch my ear. And now that's, that's from nothing, yeah? I, when I look at your face, yeah. after each one of your fights, yeah? And then I, I look at that, and I think, I can't lay on this side, I can't sleep on this side of my head. Mm -hmm. Still, from weeks ago, you must, your face must have been battered yeah. or feel bad. And how long does your jaw, your head, how much more will you put your, your own self through? It's a good question, you know, That's because I like that question. Um, I'm not sure, you know, it's... Is it something that's on your... Is it something yeah. you're thinking about seriously yeah. because of the consequence of the, the beatings? Yeah, I mean, my kids, my, my kids, my son loves it. My son's like, that's my dad, you know what I mean? But my oldest daughter and my second youngest, Georgie, you know, she cries when she sees me, you know, after a fight. And that makes me upset, you know, and she... Uh, I could imagine, when, well, we're yeah. including pictures of your face here, yeah. because it's serious. She asks me to, to stop. Your daughter does? Yeah, she says, I don't want you to do it anymore, Dad. You know, and I try and explain to her, and I try and say to her that, look, I need this, you know, I, I would like to do one more. I said that last time, you know, I would like to do one more. I want this title, you know, this British title. So now I've got that. Is this world title, <laughs> you know, so I've talked around with that. And listen, I need to know from my own point when to walk away, because no matter what, if you keep winning, there will always be another challenge. You're not punch drunk. You're, you, don't, you don't seem at all, you're very, some people are. But yeah. You don't, you seem very. Well, I'm new to this, taking this type of punishment, mate, you know. this you that, took it a few times. That might come in years to come, maybe, you know, and I need to be able to get out of this with all my faculties and that, mate. I need to be able to string a conversation together and more so watch my kids grow up and be an active part in their life. You know, I need to provide and protect for them. Protect and provide, you know, it's, a, it's so much... Um, my kids are the biggest, the biggest thing in my life by far. And with them telling me to stop, you know, it's hard to keep going. But I don't want to get myself in this position for a world title and not go for it. You know, yeah. I could regret that when my body doesn't do, won't do what it can do now in a couple of years. You know, how would I feel about that, staring at a world title and not taking it? And now there's talk of the world title might not happen, so I'll maybe just take one more payday, one more fight. Listen, mate, I'm towards the end. I'm towards the end. I'm nearly finished. And like you say, mate, the pain. It must be excruciating. The pain that you're in at following a fight. I mean, that last fight, I was in a bit of pain. I had some lumps and bumps. I had a nasty cut, yeah. which was to the bone. But that's what I love about the BKFC. You know, they'll let you continue. It's, you know, it's blood, sweat and tears. You said you said to the judge before, you said, I bleed. The referee, yeah. The, ref, the referee. I make, I make a point of saying that to them. I bleed. Especially after my first fight with Terry Brazier. That was the most physical fight I've been in. You know, a two-time MMA world champion, you know, Bellator veteran. And... Uh, 
he gave me the hardest fight today, so my debut. Very physical affair. Um, strong lad. They clinched all that clinch work and that, and he smashed us to bits. My head was like a box of oranges. You know, the, the lumps and bumps that I had on my head for the for the weeks after that. I could, like you say, that laying, you know, couldn't lay certain certain ways, couldn't lay, couldn't do anything, couldn't couldn't hold. I'm still like that. I couldn't I'm hold. Still a, like I couldn't hold a spoon. Yeah. My hands were that smashed as well. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah look, you hand there. Yeah, and that's permanently just that. Now. Yeah, and this is what I mean. You know, we only get one body. I don't know how much more I want to put myself through, but I've like I've said to you before, man. There's no buzz like it. Even before you've knocked someone out that's that's a feeling in itself by itself but that just the danger you know when you're in a fight and you, you you're taking chances you're rolling the dice you're going for punches and missing you cut you're getting caught and oh nothing makes you feel more alive than being in that moment you know almost i don't know if it's the the warrior in us or i love it you know i love that feeling of rolling the dice with with powerful men as you're talking about it you're talking about masculinity being men yeah. What do you think of the current state of affairs of, of masculinity and men? I think it's a statement. In the UK? In I the think world? It's, I think it's a statement. Look at the state of it. Just look at the state of it. You know, you've got people who now, men who won't stand up for what's right because they've been told it's wrong. Yeah. You know what I mean? And they've been, for lack of a better word, demonised, you know, masculine men it's like there's something wrong with it now isn't it it's like there's they want a feminine it's like you shouldn't it's like you shouldn't be it yeah toxic yeah it's like you know because they, like, they don't want strong men yeah you can you can see why you know what i mean with the way the, with the way the world's going and you know just bit by bit little by little taking it away and testosterone levels at an all-time low it's uh it's not a coincidence, mate. No. You know, it's uh, it's bad. What advice would you give any young lads watching this? Young men, young young kids, young youth who look up to you. Lift weights, you know, lift weights, train, stay fit, do boxing, do jiu-jitsu, respect your elders. You know, have a goal, have a goal. You know, and I think I think combat sports should be almost mandatory for kids. You know, especially in the world we live in. But um, you know, if you don't want to compete, if you don't want to go any further with it, that's fine. But you know, you've had like you've had two years of it now, and that'll serve you well. You know, that believe me, that will serve you well. But I think everybody's got something that they're good at. Everyone's talented at something. Everyone's good at something. Everyone's uh, got a passion for something. You know, find out what that is. Find out what that is. There's no take take a chance. Take a chance. You want to learn how to? You know, what I always wanted to do is play an instrument. Always wanted to play the guitar. Yeah. I play a wicked air guitar. Yeah. But uh, you're gonna learn to play the guitar then? Probably not. Probably no. not. I might do one day. Maybe give it a when chance. You but up. you know, just all these things. So many things that everybody can do. Everybody's good at something. Take a chance. If you don't like it, try something else. Try something else. What you got to lose, man? Mm. What you got to lose? Because, like I've said earlier on, I wanted to be nothing, and that's more or less what I ended up until I got my shit together. You, know, you don't need to wait till you're in your mid-thirties to get your shit together, mate. You can do it in your early twenties. You know what I mean? What do you think if your granddad could say something to you now if he was watching? What do you think he'd say? Uh, like, Forty months clean. Yeah. Your British champion. Yeah, I think he'd, I think he'd be proud of us. But I, I can hear him already. My mum tells me what he'd be saying. You know, get out. Get out. Yeah. Get out, mate. Be saying get out.
get out, quit while you're ahead. All them cliches that he's told us on my life, I can hear him saying them all, you know, bird in the hands worth two in the bush, get out while you're ahead. All that stuff, I can hear him saying it, mate. So that must be a battle as well? Yeah. Probably a bit of pride and that in there, you know, I want to keep going. I want to fight the best of the best, but listen, I think it's it's getting towards that time, mate. I'm going to have to make a decision of what I'm going to do and I'm going to have to stick by it, you know, because once I decide what I'm doing, I will do that, whether it's have one more fight or whether it's quit. Um, I'm not sure. I had a little bit of an ego problem lately, mate. Uh, things going to my head. Like I said, I'm, I spoke about it the other day on my channel. Stuff going to my head, mate. Uh, I was so good at it for so long, you know, not letting things go to my head, staying grounded, staying humble. It's hard to when you've just blown up the way you've blown up. Bro. That's it, you know. Yeah, people must, ask you. Yeah. I mean, you've seen it. You get it a lot. I've, yeah, I've yeah. been with you. I've seen it with you. You know, you've seen yeah. it with me yesterday. People yeah. asking for pictures. Yeah. It's like everybody wanting a piece of you. Yeah. It's, it's, hard, a, it's hard not to. It goes to your head a bit, mm. and I, it's done that lately. You know, I've been a bit of a cock with Everyone a few people. Everyone telling you shit, don't stink. Surrounded yeah. by, surrounded by yes men. That type of thing. In there, so, there many times. But I'm aware of it. Yeah. You know, I'm aware of it, which is a good thing. But that's not enough. You know, I need to, I need to get back to the, the program. I need to do more work on myself. Continuation of mm. work. You know, progress, not perfection. And I need to work, get back to the program. I need to practice what I preach. You know, because I'm the best person in the world at giving advice. Because I know what works. Yeah, yeah. But I struggle doing it, mate. We're all human, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Danny, it's been a very emotional story as yes, well, bro. Yes, bro. It's been enjoyable, man. And you're and you can wear your heart on your sleeve. It's, um, yeah. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Tommy. Appreciate and that. I look forward to watching your journey, bro. Yeah, likewise. Thank you, you everybody. Right. And thank you, Tommy. Cheers, man. Nice one. Carry on watching for more interesting guests. I'll talk to anyone. I'll debate anyone. I'll hear anyone's story. If you want to help me along that way, it's not free. I need your support. If you can support my family, that gives me my peace of mind. It means I can continue to do the work I do. You can do so at www.supporttommy.com. I appreciate every bit of support, as do my children. Gives me the ability to fly them out here to see me so I can stay in constant contact with them. I'm deplatformed and I'm censored, so I need you. I need you to share this content. Make sure you stay tuned for upcoming weekly guests, interesting guests, exciting guests. I'm Tom Robson, and this has been my podcast, Silence.